You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We are learning more tonight about a teenage boy killed by a stray bullet in a shootout on Broadway. Family and friends are speaking publicly for the first time since Alfred Wong was killed. Ramina Dea has more from today's news conference. And Ramina, police also opened up today about their investigation as well. Chris, the chief said that investigators spent six hours back here at the scene last week reconstructing what happened. They're using state-of-the-art technology, but still no arrests in this case. Today, by the chief's side, the older brother of the innocent teen who was killed. We're all still in shock that something like this could have happened to us. Wilfred Wong is still grappling with how his younger brother died. 15-year-old Alfred was riding in his parents' vehicle when he was hit with a stray bullet around 9.15 p.m. Saturday, January 13th. The teen had just finished dinner with his brother. My parents and I will always love him dearly, and his death will leave a void in our hearts. Chief, do you believe you know who's responsible? No, we don't. No suspects, no arrests. (laughs) 23-year-old Kevin Whiteside was also killed. The low-level drug dealer was the intended target, say police. Kevin Whiteside was armed, and I know the answer to that question as to who fired the bullet, but I'm not prepared to share that with you right now. We're treating that as holdback evidence. The chief says the gang violence playing out over drug turf right now is the worst it's been in years. Uh, We haven't seen gang violence like this in probably the last 10 years. The last big wave was when the whole Bacon Brother Red Scorpion thing was happening. Alfred is being remembered as a talented athlete and a gifted student who had big dreams. He intended to pursue a career in electronic engineering, a goal he had researched thoroughly and made plans for this winter. Two scholarships have been set up in Alfred's name. The 15 years that we had with Alfred were far too short, but we know that Alfred is now in heaven with God. They're obviously going to need some help solving this one. Ramina, do we know how many tips police received after their efforts on the weekend? They're not saying, Chris, they're not going into any numbers. We know that they had the mobile command center set up here on Saturday, which is extremely unusual in an investigation. They say that their efforts have been successful, but they still have a long way to go. They're still imploring anybody who has not spoken to them, who has information, pictures, video, anything at all, to please step forward and talk to investigators. As far as Alfred Wong's funeral, there's been a lot of public interest that will be in Saturday, on Saturday in Coquitlam at 10.30. All the details are on our website. Chris. All right, Ramina Day in Vancouver. Thanks, Ramina. Free the weed! Free the weed! Free the weed! Assault! 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 Tensions running high today on Robson Street. Defiance at an illegal pot market as Vancouver police officers move in. Today's confrontation follows a raid by police last night. The illegal pop-up cannabis market raising concerns in recent weeks and questions about why the city and police aren't doing more to shut it down. Grace Key reports. 
crackdown on Vancouver's Robson Square, where an illegal open marijuana market has been set up. William Faulkner, seen running away from police Monday morning, was arrested here less than 24 hours ago and ordered to stay away. When he returned, police moved in. You assaulted him! More than a dozen officers moved in late Sunday night. It's unclear how many vendors were arrested. So they just said that they're taking everything. Faulkner was taken away a few blocks away and charged with two counts of trafficking a controlled substance and one count of possession for the purpose of trafficking. We spoke with him shortly before Monday's arrest. But for people that are trying to recover off of crystal meth, other hard narcotics, and they don't have the money for the cannabis, I just give it to them. Come get your free weed. The arrest didn't deter vendors who were back in business the next morning, along with supporters who say cannabis helped them stay clean. Uh, we got pot brownies, just like Grandma used to make them. Dispensaries do not have edibles in there. Um, I myself, I don't like to smoke all the time. I don't like going to them and spending more money than I need to. Some neighboring vendors say the open marijuana market is causing them to lose business. I believe it should be legalized. People should have the freedom to do it, but they're selling it so it brings an element out here that isn't a nice element. And then the smoke is so thick. One lady came up to me and said, you know what, I'm going to blow up your truck. There have been concerns of sales to minors, a lack of a business license, and other illegal activity. Police say there have been numerous complaints. We've taken an incremental approach to this, hoping that uh, we don't have to take action. Uh, but it has escalated. It has gotten to the point where we have to take action. Police won't comment on the arrest, saying it's an ongoing investigation, but will provide an update sometime this week. Grace Key, Global News. The wife of a man who was left with multiple fractures after a hit and run over the weekend is speaking out tonight. Her husband is the third person to be hit in the crosswalk on Caribou Road in a week. Tonight, they're both wondering how many other people need to be hurt or killed before something is done about the obvious danger there. And it's where our Tanya Beja is tonight. Tanya, this couple has a message not only for the city, but for the driver that took off, too. That's right, Chris. The family says they recognize that what happened here was an accident, but one that was entirely preventable. Now they want the driver to step up and the city to take action. Workers are putting out the warning signs, trying to force drivers to slow down. People are always in a rush to get somewhere, right? So. The crosswalk at Caribou Road, the scene of three collisions in four days, including one that sent Amancio Hernandez to hospital. He came from surgery in good spirits, trying to be the strong man that he is always for the family. Hernandez was crossing the street to attend church Saturday evening when he was hit by a car that fled the scene. A cyclist and vehicle collided just days before, and 15-year-old Fernanda Giroto was struck and killed while walking to the bus stop. How many lives had to be put in danger for them to take action? Burnaby police are stepping up enforcement, handing out 65 speeding tickets over the last two days, but even they couldn't avoid a close call. Now city officials say they're making changes to the crosswalk, including a pedestrian activated light similar to this one in Coquitlam. We're improving the lighting above. We're putting actually light in the signal that it says crosswalking, crosswalk with the light beaming down onto the actual crosswalk. A relief to pedestrians who are taking matters into their own hands. I use it to cross this crosswalk um, whenever I have to 
across at night just to get the attention of cars. In the meantime, Leticia Funes has a message for the driver who struck her husband. I know you didn't mean it. I think the right thing to do, though, is to come forward. The collision was caught on dash cam video, so Burnaby RCMP are reviewing that footage, attempting to identify the driver. Anybody who's seen a black Dodge Charger with potential damage to the front passenger side is asked to contact police. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks, Tanya. BC Hydro making steady progress, restoring power across Vancouver Island, the Lower Mainland and the Fraser Valley. Peak wind gusts in Tawasson hit 101 kilometers an hour yesterday morning, 85 kilometers an hour at the airport and 120 at Saturna Island. The weekend storm whipped up waves, knocked out power to tens of thousands of customers and downed dozens of trees, including a close call in Guildford. Thankfully, the owners of this home were not there at the time. Meantime, it's been an excellent weekend in the Alpine. At higher elevations, all that rain fell as snow, and some of the totals are jaw-dropping. Aaron MacArthur checked out the impact on the local mountains and how some skiers were forced to dig out. Digging out and going home. Mount Washington still feeling the effects of more than a meter of snow over the weekend. Getting anything done Monday required some serious sweat equity. Even opening the ski hill was a major effort. You know, I walked in the lodge about 6.30 Sunday morning and there was the 20 Boy Scouts sleeping on the lower Alpine Lodge floor and probably about half a dozen to 10 people sleeping in various areas of the pub and, and around the lodge. You know, we've been working really hard digging out the resort, literally digging out the resort in the last 24 hours to be able to get the lift spinning for our guests today. The system that pummeled the island left its mark across the south coast too. The Whistler Blackcomb area, ridiculous. Even the North Shore was a winter wonderland. People were loving it. Oh, yeah, this is just beautiful. Gorgeous view. Fresh air, nice snow. Driving was not fun. The Coquihalla was closed partially due to a rock slide near Merritt, and the road conditions made it a challenge to get anywhere. Yeah, I haven't seen a plow go up and down it yet, and, uh, and it's been going like this since uh, last night, so if they predicted it, I don't see why they didn't uh, plow the road, yeah. It isn't over. The rest of the week promising a steady stream of winter storms. Good news if you managed to call in sick or got the day off. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, probably one of the best days I've had up at Mount Washington ever. There was snow everywhere. Coming back tomorrow, I have to. <laughs> it is possible to have too much of a good thing. Mount Washington looking for a little break in the action. Sounds like they're not going to get one. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A lot of people playing hooky to hit the mountains, uh, and there's more where that came from. Meteorologist Christy Gordon has the details now. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Now, not all at once, like we saw over the weekend, but certainly a hefty amount of snow possible this week. Or this week. North Shore Mountains, by the end of the week, could see 100 centimeters. Mount Washington, 60. That's if the freezing level stays low enough, and it looks like it will. We'll be tracking that closely for you all week. And when I come back, the two best ski days and maybe even sick days for you. Uh, okay, we'll start planning ahead. Thanks, Christy. Tragedy in Campbell River where an ATV accident has claimed two lives. RCMP say a father and daughter and the daughter's friend were attempting to cross a rain-swollen creek on Sunday. 
when the ATV they were all on was swept away in the fast-flowing water. A passerby managed to pull the friend from the water. Late yesterday afternoon, the second child was found dead. This morning, searchers recovered the man's body. All of those involved were from Campbell River. Hearings began today on the hotly contested Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. The federal government has approved the project, but the exact route is still unclear. Critics now taking turns voicing their opposition to the proposed path. And Ted Chernecki explains why they call the term twinning inaccurate. Trans Mountain will go first. Here's the drill. TV cameras were only allowed in today's National Energy Board meeting in Burnaby for about 10 minutes. And then all camera operators were told to leave. The detailed route hearing being held today will consider the best possible detailed route of the pipeline. The NEB, it seems, didn't want a repeat of what happened in Montreal during the hearings for the proposed Energy East pipeline. Working now and audio of today's hearings is being streamed live on the NEB website. Please introduce yourself and who you represent. And there's a long list of interveners who oppose what the NEB, even today, describes as the twinning of an existing pipeline. The Trans Mountain Expansion Project includes a twinning of the existing 1,147 kilometers. Tomorrow, the city of Burnaby will argue that the existing pipeline route, seen highlighted in white, is very different from the proposed new pipeline highlighted in blue. If they had approved for or applied for a new route, it never would have been approved. But they thought if they could sneak it in as a twinning of the pipeline, uh, they would have a chance. In 2010, an Enbridge pipeline carrying the same build bit that will run through the lower mainland burst, sending the heavy oil into a tributary of the Kalamazoo River in Michigan. All this, this is not your grandmother's crude oil. This is diluted bitumen, not one drop. I get people all the time saying, well, you drove your car, we need the oil. Well, the fact is, this, none of this is for domestic consumption. Some opinion polls show support for the pipeline expansion at 54 and 50 against. But protesters believe those supporting the project don't have all the facts. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The race to replace Christy Clark as leader of the B.C. Liberal Party is almost over. Tomorrow, candidates will face off one last time, this time in Vancouver. And our Keith Baldry will be on this side of the water here in Vancouver to moderate that debate. Keith, what's happening tomorrow? Yeah, it's going to be quite interesting. Tomorrow night uh, in Vancouver, there's about 1,500 people expected to attend the debates uh, presented by Global BC. It's not a a debate held by the BC Liberals, but it's held by our station. I'll be the moderator. Six candidates, of course. The first one uh, we're going to show is Todd Stone, the former uh, transportation minister. Uh, Former uh, Surrey Mayor Diane Watts is also uh, going to be on the stage with Mr. Stone, along with four others. Uh, including Andrew Wilkinson, uh, the former uh, cabinet minister under Christy Clark, uh, Mike DeYoung, the veteran uh, former finance minister, the longest-serving MLA next uh, in the legislature. He's going to be on stage as well. He ran in 2011. Uh, Michael Lee, a newcomer to politics, a rookie MLA in Vancouver, Langara. And finally, former um, Vancouver Mayor Sam Sullivan, current MLA for Vancouver, False Creek. So six candidates. I'll be putting some of the questions to them. 
them, but they're also going to have a go at each other. There's going to be several segments in which each of them can ask each other a question. And considering it's the last debate of the campaign, which culminates in a vote from February 1st to February 3rd, things could get heated and a little sparks may fly. It's going to be broadcast live on BC1 from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, so please tune in because I think we're going to see some verbal fisticuffs. I imagine we'll see some drama for sure. Thank you, Keith. All right. But first, a Victoria developer is teaming up with BC Housing to take on the affordability crisis with an unusual offer. Condos for about $50,000 less than market value. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the deal of a lifetime comes with a long list of conditions. Victoria is bracing for one of the busiest years in real estate development. Just like these soon-to-be condos, prices are reaching new heights. When prices go up 30%, that doesn't mean incomes are necessarily going up that much as well. It's an all-too-common scenario that's pushing many first-time homebuyers out of the market. Is this what you'd like to see in your suite? But this developer, in partnership with BC Housing, is working to change that, offering a downtown address without the price tag. So our average price is $53,000 below market. With financing from BC Housing, Chard Developments is able to pass along the savings during the construction phase to the buyer. This is your unit right on the corner. And given the current state of the market, they're hoping to put even more money in their pocket. I hate to say guaranteed, but I'm almost guaranteed a very high rate of return on this. So far, almost half of the 135 units have sold, ranging in price from $275,000 to $535,000, quickly putting pressure on others to make a move. They called me up and said, Get down there and get one for us. So it's an unbelievable deal. But you do need to qualify. Your household income can't be more than $150,000 a year. You need 10% down, you can't rent it, and you can't flip it. The buyer is legally bound to live in the suite for at least two years before selling. BC Housing puts a covenant on all the titles within the project, and that's how they monitor and protect uh, the, the restrictions that go on those units. With this being the first development of its kind in Victoria, there's hope more will follow, opening the door to home ownership. For now, the second phase is available for purchase. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Anyone heading across the water to Victoria or anywhere else on a BC ferry is now prohibited from lighting up. The Ferry Corp's total smoking ban takes effect today. No cigarettes, e-cigarettes, marijuana, or any other kind of smoking is allowed on the outside decks, parking decks, or anywhere at the terminals, forcing smoke breaks far off the property. I can live with it. It's not a big deal. I can find a spot to smoke somewhere, you know. I respect people. But I do believe that pollution from vehicles is worse than cigarette smoke, but that's my point of view. I mean, I agree with it. That's fine. This is private property. Well, it's government property. It's not my property. That's fine. I mean, I'll smoke somewhere else. BC Ferries has no plans at the moment to penalize anyone caught smoking, hoping public education is enough. Another side effect of last summer's BC wildfires had some people calling on Consumer Matters for help. Andrewa joins us now with more on why the Greyhound bus company is coming under fire. Mm-hmm. Certainly, customers really hitting the wall. Thanks, you too. Those wildfires forced the cancellation of a number of bus trips that left some passengers seeking refunds from Greyhound. But in some cases, as you're about to see, that hasn't been an easy process. Tonight, we, we meet two Greyhound customers who were at their wits' end and reached out to Consumer Matters for help. 
I just felt like I was just going circles and circles and circles. That's how Calla Curry describes her experience with Greyhound customer service. Back in July of last year, Calla purchased two return Greyhound bus tickets for her European guests from Langley to 100 Mile House. But the morning her relatives were set to board the bus, the trips were canceled. The highway shut down due to the worst wildfire season in BC history. Calla was out almost $270. Okay, well, I'll try to um, get a refund from Greyhound, and I've been working on it up until now, January of 2018. In early August, Calla says she sent the tickets via email to Greyhound's refund offices in Burlington, Ontario. She says she was told the refund would take six to eight weeks, but weeks turned into months. And they just kept stringing me along and stringing me along, and I have this record of all these phone calls that I made. Even in December, Kelly says the company told her it would escalate her case. Now January of 2018, frustrated and no closer to a resolution, Kelly turned to Consumer Matters for help. We reached out to Greyhound and within 24 hours were told Kelly would be getting her refund back immediately. Thank goodness, this is over. Total frustration. And then there's Langley resident Pat Costello. His Greyhound bus trip was also cancelled this past summer between Langley and Lac La Hache because of the forest fires. He says he mailed a request to Greyhound for a refund on July 12th and has been waiting ever since. It wasn't a million dollars, we're talking just around a hundred dollars, but still, that's, uh, we're retired and we <laughs> We can use that for something else. At one point, Pat says Greyhound told him it had no record of his trip being cancelled and would expedite his case. That was in December. Now well into the new year, Pat reached out to us for help. After we got involved, Greyhound confirming 24 hours later, Pat's refund would be processed immediately. We asked Greyhound repeatedly why it took the company months to refund these two customers' funds. In a statement, it said... In terms of why it took some time to issue a refund for both customers, we are still working to determine the exact reason for the delay and confirm whether the proper procedures were followed. It appears there was a mistake made on our end, and we apologize to the customers for that. A company like Greyhound, who's, that's been around for years and years, I would have expected a lot better service from them. And Pat Casillo says given what he went through, he'll never book a bus ticket in advance. The next time he travels by bus, he says he'll purchase his ticket day of. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Right. Thank you very much, Anne. Well, it's about a year later than planned, but the store touted by some as the future of retail finally opened today in Seattle. The Amazon Go supermarket has no checkout lines and no cashiers, and customers don't even have to bring their wallets. Tonight, long lines outside the store that's trying to get rid of them altogether. Let's get ready to shop. Inside Amazon Go, a new grocery store opening to the public for the first time today, there's no checkout or register in sight. Instead, customers use a new app to scan in and start shopping. I might grab a salad. Okay. The Just Walk Out technology is tracking that these items are leaving the shelf and it's putting them in my virtual cart. And that means, and if I put them back on the shelf, they come out of my virtual cart. Hundreds of cameras read product labels and track your movements. Sensors installed in the shelves collect data about your preferences. How accurate are the cameras in determining that I'm really taking that peppered yep. steak or roasted chicken? The system is highly accurate. On the rare occasion, if you were to find uh, an error, we make it super easy to do a self-service return. 
Customers leave without checking out, and their Amazon account is automatically charged. As for workers who may have been cashiers... We've simply decided to allocate them to different kinds of tasks. Amazon recently bought Whole Foods, but says there are no plans to install this technology in those stores. If Amazon can perfect this method of checking out, I think it could send a strong signal to other grocers that they need to step up their game in providing convenience to consumers. A race to win your wallet, even if it never leaves your pocket. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Seattle. Five people are still missing tonight after a huge explosion at a drilling rig in Oklahoma. About 22 people were working on the natural gas rig when the explosion happened. It collapsed part of the structure. It happened this morning, but the fire is still burning now. No word yet on the cause. The United States government is open for business once again after a budget stalemate in Washington, D.C. shut it down. But the deal to reopen the doors is only temporary, raising fears that it could all happen again in just three weeks from now. The U.S. government tonight opening for business. The yeas are 81, the nays are 18. Senate Democrats taking the deal after a three-day shutdown over protecting the so-called dreamers. It is a good solution. And I will vote for it. The government will now stay open for three more weeks. The Children's Health Insurance Program fully funded for six more years after Republican leader Mitch McConnell made a public pledge. This immigration debate will have a level playing field at the outset. The only real change from Sunday? Democrats decided to trust McConnell. After a day filled with anxious questions, federal workers showing up to their offices uncertain about what the morning would hold. I got a mortgage. I feel like I want to go to work. Please get it together. Everybody. Because I don't have two jobs like some people do. I have one job. National parks like the Statue of Liberty shuttered over the weekend. States forced to foot the bill so they could open today. The day's dramatic turn of events playing out in the halls on Capitol Hill. Are you considering changing your vote? I, we're going to hear where we are. I don't know what's been agreed to. A bipartisan group of senators huddling in Susan Collins' office through the morning. Pessimistic at first. Senator, what do you think? Can you get this done today? I don't know. As the hours wore on. It's about almost 11 a.m. Do you think right now at this hour the government will reopen by the end of the day? I hope so. And if it doesn't, I just don't know where we go from here because we're so, so very close. About 90 minutes later, it was done. The only difference? Leader McConnell made a clear public commitment on the floor of the Senate. We're not going to be able to move forward if we don't trust each other. The government reopening, but just for three more weeks, when this fight will play out all over again. Casey Hunt, NBC News, the Capitol. In Health Matters tonight, a new model for health care opened today on Vancouver's downtown east side. This model brings together primary care, mental health, substance use treatment and support, home care, and other specialty services under one roof. The Heatley Community Health Center offers a one-stop integrated system for at-risk patients. The goal is to get people into care as quickly as possible, connecting them with health services that are all in one location. The existing Pender and downtown community health centers are also transitioning to this type of care. Philly cops on video doing something that probably wasn't in their job description. What they were up to before a very big football game right after the forecast. (laughs) 
It's odd, that's for sure. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully it worked. All right, uh, Christy Gordon joins us now with our forecast. Uh-huh. What a crazy weekend and more wild weather in store for us. That's right. So the two best ski days, that's what I'm going to tell you about right now, as well as highway forecast because it is going to be a very active week. But first, let's focus in on the next 24 hours. We do have a special weather statement in place for the east coast of Vancouver Island. No wind warnings in place, but you're going to see strong winds once again developing through the morning hours and continuing all day. Southeast winds up to 80 kilometers an hour all the way along the east coast of Vancouver Island over towards the Sunshine Coast and across the southern tip of Vancouver Island uh, towards Victoria as well. We are expecting the possibility of power outages. Not a lot of rain expected with this system, but it's enough that the ground is saturated. We could see some localized flooding and we could see some downed trees. For the lower mainland, not nearly as strong, only up to about 60. In comparison, our Sunday morning uh, winds were up to 90 kilometers an hour, so far less for our region. But nonetheless, we could see some down power lines. So if you do see any, you need to stay at least 30 feet. That's 10 meters away. Do not go close and do not attempt to touch it. Now, Looking in the long range throughout the week, as I mentioned, a very active week. This is how much rainfall we could see. And that extends up into the Cypress Mountain, Grouse Mountain, Seymour as well, up to 100 millimeters. And if you compare that, it's usually a 10 to 1 ratio for millimeter uh, rainfall to uh, centimeters. Uh, so that means 100 centimeters possible. The two best days, Tuesday and Thursday. The reason, Wednesday, there's a chance that that freezing level could climb. It could be plus 1. So we may see that snowfall change over to rain. So if you can hit Tuesday and Thursday, those are your two best days. For driving the mountain passes, expect snow every day this week, right through Friday, and that includes heading up to Whistler as well. Meanwhile, this is your forecast for tomorrow. Periods of rain and wind across the coast. Inland regions, a couple centimeters of snow. Flurries in Prince George. Down through the south, we'll see mostly just showers over towards the, the eastern sections. Revelstoke expecting a couple centimeters of snow. Meanwhile, the south coast, wind and rain for our day tomorrow, and there is a chance you could see some wet snow out towards Hope and in Squamish. A very active week with wind us tomorrow for the lower mainland, up to 60 kilometers an hour, much stronger across Vancouver Island. Ray Ballard celebrating 100 years and Helena Lajouillette celebrating 103 years. And this is a neat wind shot from the weekend. Marnie sent us this, a couple of, uh, or a few seals braving uh, the elements and probably getting out of the waves there mm, for safety. Shot. Thank you, Christy. Well, people in downtown Philadelphia came across a strange sight yesterday afternoon. A team of the city's finest smearing something all over light poles in the downtown core. What they were using earned them the nickname the Crisco Cops. The officers were smearing grease on the poles in anticipation of the Philadelphia Eagles winning a berth to the Super Bowl. The city wanting to prevent fans from climbing the poles and possibly falling and injuring themselves. So did it work? Well, video of last night's celebrations after the Eagles' win shows thousands of fans in the streets, but as far as we can tell, no one on the actual polls. But you know there were a couple of dudes who went home smelling like Crisco. Yeah, they tried. They were trying to climb the pole. Well, Philly's got those nice, ornate poles with the ridges. They're they're easy to climb. They're easy to climb. But see, they know Philadelphia fans are notorious. I mean, they're notorious when they're upset. They once booed Santa Claus, I think. And peppered with snowballs. Yeah, yeah. so it's like they're they're a rough crew. So if they win, they're going to be extra 
rough with the city. So they had, to, they had to do They had to have some preventative Order some actions to take. Mm-hmm. Got finishing touches on the sports cast. Yep. I'm all good to go. I'm all good to go. Well, Talking soccer after a weekend of football. <laughs> well, it's football as well. Yeah, I suppose that's... What part of the world you're in. <laughs> well, the Whitecaps training camp is... Didn't they just finish like a week ago or something? The MLS offseason is kind of like an extended coffee break. No sooner is it over, you're back training again for the next season, which is what the Whitecaps are doing this week. But in that short window between last year and this year, the Whitecaps did make quite a few roster adjustments. And it's not like they had a bad season last year and they needed to make wholesale changes because last year was pretty good. Okay, it didn't end so well, but it was still a pretty good season. Just the same, though, they made just enough personnel changes to alter the look of this team going into 2018. Reduced the age. We reduced the, uh, the salaries. Uh, we brought in hunger. We brought in energy. Now it's down to them to obviously do that, do the fun bit, which is on the pitch, and, and time will tell. For Whitecaps supporters, the time to win is now. Nobody in the Western Conference won more regular season games than Vancouver's 15 last season. But the big victories were lacking when it mattered the most. Caps battered San Jose 5-0 in their opening playoff match, then failed to tally a single goal in their two-game series against Seattle. with a header, but it's straight at Fry. You know, the boys had a terrific season last year. We got into three semifinals. If you if you can class the Canadian Championship as a semifinal, but the Champions League in the playoffs, uh, and we fell a little bit short. Uh, and you've got to try and find answers to those questions. And it could be, well, we have the same group again, or it could be make changes. And So the Caps made changes, numerous changes. A lot of these faces you see, gone. No Freddie Montero, no David Osted, no Jordan Harvey, and no Christian Bolaños. With the largest overhaul coming in midfield and up front. Kai Camaro's your new veteran striker. Well, fellow designated player Efrain Juarez will help solidify the midfield. Too many changes or just the right mix? You know, a new challenge for me. I've been involved in, in a lot of... Uh, uh, competitions in Europe, in Mexico. So now for me, it's a new challenge. I will try to uh, do all my effort and work to to give to the team what they need or what the what the manager needs for me. You know, the the way you get the best out of players is by challenging them, putting them under a little bit of pressure. And when I left let players go at the end of the season, there was always a, a plan. Obviously, some were financial, some were um, performance related. Um, but it's always for the benefit of the team. So hopefully they'll come back in with an energy and a freshness about them. I'll put demands on them in training because you've got to train the way you play. And it'll be down to them who decides who's going to play. The Whitecaps kick off the regular season, first week of March. Jay Janel, Global Sports. Well, I think it's pretty clear. Tom Brady is a cyborg. He's not fully human. He was drafted by the Patriots, and then Bill Belichick took him to some secret laboratory where they turned him into the perfect quarterback, complete with male model looks. Yesterday, while the Jacksonville Jaguars were on the verge of pulling a historical upset, everybody outside of the most ardent Jacksonville fan knew that sooner or later, Tom Brady and the Patriots would find a way to win. They always do. And he did it yesterday with stitches in his cyborg thumb. Um, You know... Tommy's the best, man. He's he's the toughest guy I've ever met, uh, physically, mentally. Um, 
And if there's anything that that happens to Tom, I know I know he can handle it. Fake it to White. Looking around, has time, throws it. Can he get the feet down? What an effort! Touchdown, Amendola. You know, not only is he the best player in our in our locker room, but he gets everybody else to play well and step their game up, and and that's why that's why he's the best. Be it in his 20s, his 30s, his 40s, Tom just keeps on winning. And actually, it isn't just Tom. Bill Belichick does some sort of Jedi mind trick on the opposition team. And in the fourth quarter, he makes them make some terrible mistakes, either penalties or last year Atlanta running the ball or passing the ball when they should have ran it. Anyway, they're the favorites to win it again this year. Oh, you know who the hottest team in the NHL is right now? Those guys. Colorado Avalanche. Jonathan Bernier and the Avs in Toronto. First goal of this game, Gabriel Bork. He shoots, he scores. One nothing abs. Leafs second period, early in the second period. Oh, one-timer from Patrick Marlowe. The old guy gets one. Now how about the young guys? Nylander passes it to himself. Then rebound right to Austin Matthews, 2-1 for Toronto. But I mentioned that the abs are red hot, nine straight. Alex Kerfoot. Son of Greg, who owns the Whitecaps. Across the nail, Yakupov, 3-2 third period, Colorado over Toronto. Huge upset in the English Premier League today. As we start with soccer or football and end with soccer or football. 40th minute, Swansea. Alfie Mawson. It's in. That made it 1-0. And then... Chance for Liverpool to at least get a draw here. No post blocked. Shocking. Huge upset. Swansea over a much more powerful, normally, Liverpool side. There you go. Wow. That's why they play the game. That's what they say. Thanks, Squire. Coming up on ET Canada, we're with Nicole Kidman, Susan Sarandon, and all the stars at the SAG Awards. Plus, the best or is it worst? Razzie nominations. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. Awesome. Thank you, Sangita. All right. Squire. Well, um, over the years, we have seen women or girls play against boys, and oftentimes in goal. Manon Rayom, back in 1992, right. played goal uh, for, I think it was a period or something, for the Tampa Bay Lightning in an exhibition game. So... Down the line from Manon Rayon, we come to Izzy Palumbo, mm-hmm. who on the weekend, 45 saves in a win for the Golden Rockets of the uh, Kimberly Hockey League, Junior B. When Izzy Palumbo played goal for the Golden Rockets of the Kimberly Hockey League, she was doing two remarkable things. Playing against boys at a high level was one, doing it at 15 was another. This was a big step into the world of bigger players. Definitely, they're all tall and, you know, big and fast and hard shots, so it was definitely a different experience because it was hard to see around them when there was shots at the point or anything, but it was uh, definitely different for sure. But size didn't matter in this game. Izzy was the winning goalie, and neither did it matter that she was facing boys because she has played against boys most of her hockey career. And she's been successful playing against the boys. And if you ask any of her coaches, they will tell you that they don't look at her as a girl who plays goal. They just look at her as a good goalie. 
No, I think what's paid off the most for her is uh, she's so level-headed and nothing seems to phase her. Even in provincials last year with our team there, we went 35-1 and one or something with that team. We had a great year and we won the provincials in Revelstoke all the way through even in the final game. She comes out, stands there, puck goes in or stays out. It's always the same stance. So that's probably her biggest uh, asset moving forward. Um, I'd like to go to university, of course, for school, but I'd love to play hockey there as well. That's my two things for after I graduate high school. Uh, and then the Olympics would be amazing, but I'd like to say boys hockey as much as I can, so even NHL if I get lucky. And um, yeah, as long as I'm with boys hockey, I think I'd like to say like that. Oh, Izzy. All right, At 15 years old. And she old. may get to play a couple more games for Golden as well. Oh, great. Cool. Mm. Thanks, Thanks. Mark. All right, very quick, uh, more on that breaking news in Port Coquitlam. Here's a look at that major fire burning at the Canadian Pacific Rail Yard near Low Heat Highway and Shaughnessy right now. Yeah, there are reports that fire and ambulance are on the scene uh, at this point. No word yet on what sparked this fire, but of course we will be following this throughout the evening. We'll have updates for you online on BC1 and on the News at 11 with Ann and Jay. And quick one word on weather before we go. Sure, wet and windy tomorrow, especially if you're headed over to Vancouver Island, so delays on ferries most likely.